Well, hey, I am really excited that June 21st we'll be gathering together again. I know it'll look a little different than it has the last time we gathered as a whole. And so I know that's a part of the reality for all of us. But I look forward to the day in which we gather in the same space. It may be a little off, but there's something powerful and unique that happens when God's people gather together. And we know that some of the precautions we'll take out of love for the other may seem a little odd, but at the same time, we know that it'll be a great day for us to gather in that space at the same time, rather than just in our living rooms. And we want to be clear, if you find yourself in the vulnerable population, maybe you have some pre-existing health conditions, don't feel like you're less a Christian if you stay home. Honestly, there's nothing wrong with that too. We just look forward to those who can make it joining with us. So I was thinking this week as we kind of begin talking about that and meeting again, one of the things I want to mention is that we want to, on June 21st, collect as many canned goods as we can that Sunday. And the reason for that is pretty simple. Um, Not only our food pantry, but many food pantries throughout our community have been erased. They've been used. And so on the 21st, bring whatever canned goods you have. We'll have bins set up available that you can just drop stuff off. And we hope you'll be a part of it. Here's my question today. Have you ever felt like maybe you were just better than somebody? I, I know, I know when we say that out loud, people feel like, well, I can't say yes to that. But have you ever just thought, oh, I'm better than that person? I'm, or maybe you said it this way, I'm so glad I'm not like so-and-so. And the truth is, we probably all said that. The problem is Jesus actually addressed that himself when he said, the other the religious leaders, when they say, I think God, I'm not like so-and-so, we actually should probably not do that. And, and I'm not saying today that you can't learn from other people, right? There are times we see something and go, ooh, I don't want to do that. That seemed unwise. That seemed destructive. So it's not that we're better than, we just choose to learn from. You see, when I went to college, I knew I was going to go into ministry. And so I thought for sure I was going to have this thing figured out, right? I was going to be a great communicator. I was going to change the world like Mother Teresa. I was going to be an entertainer like Jimmy Fallon, although he wasn't even really around yet. But I was just going to be awesome. And so then I heard about this ministry that was starting. I think it was called Axis. I don't even remember because it was long enough ago. And it was this ministry off-site for another church to try to reach out into our community. And I was like, huh, they need me. So I went to help. And our first week, he's like, yeah, just kind of watch and hang out. And then we'll kind of get you plugged in later. I went and I watched, and they called me about a week later. And Dale called me and said, hey, Aaron, I need you. I thought, of course you do. It's about time you realize it, and you called me. He said, but I need you tonight, and I need you to wear old clothes. I thought, you know, uh, whatever, maybe there's some kind of outreach I don't know about. And so I put on some old clothes. He said, if you can bring a friend, that'd be great. And I thought, great, someone to witness my greatness. And then um, he picked us up off campus and he said, okay, so here's what's going to happen tonight. Um, There's some masks and gloves back here for you guys as well. It's like, oh, obviously what I thought I was going to do, you don't want me to communicate, you don't want me to speak, you don't want to see how awesome I am. Understood. He says, we're going to a family, their house, they have to be out tonight. He says, I need help. And I said the church would help. And so I've recruited you guys to come help. And so I said, okay. So my buddy and I, we, we get in the car, we keep on going, we get to the house, we walk in. I walk into a house. I mean, I've been to third world countries, I've been to, to shanty towns, and I've never seen a place as filthy as I saw that day in the middle of Illinois. 
And between my mask and my gloves, I was given a shovel and a trash bag. And I was asked to start cleaning up and get all their stuff out. We were supposed to decide what was good, what should be kept, and what should be pitched because they couldn't decide on their own. I, it was the first time I'd ever even heard of hoarding because I saw it firsthand. And it was, we found dead mice and we found animal feces and it was disgusting. If you think of the grossest place you've ever been, that's what it was. And so I started thinking, well, it's interesting how this works because, you know, um, no one saw I was awesome. In fact, I didn't even talk to him. I didn't lead anyone to Jesus. I, I barely talked. You were afraid to breathe in fumes. Um, they were being evicted because of the way they had taken care of the place. And so we cleaned it out. And we left, and it was so filthy. When we got back to the dorm room, we, we stripped down the hallway and threw our clothes straight in the washing machine before we went into our room. And did I, did I mention this was during March Madness? And I thought I was really holy because I skipped pizza and wings to go do this, right? What I did learn that night was a really important lesson, that ministry is service to others. At the same time, I also learned something else. Is my heart right or not? See, I began to wrestle with that. I recognized that love serves. Was I doing this from a place of love or just so I could feel better about myself? That's the reality for all of us. See, last week we talked about the idea of submission. We're in this series on spiritual practices, and we've been talking about what does it look like to follow Jesus with our life? What are the practices that we embrace as a way of living? And yet, in the middle of all that, last week we talked about submission. Not anyone's highlight, and service probably isn't much more of a highlight for any of us, but these practices lead us towards looking more and more like Jesus. They help us to become more and more committed followers of him. We actually look like his apprentices by embracing this way of life. See, last week we talked about submission, and so this was the phrase we used last week, that the cross is the sign of submission. And this week I'll add to it, the towel is the sign of service. The cross is the sign of submission. The towel is the sign of service. And so we're talking about the towel, serving and it would make sense if we're talking about the practices of following Jesus that we'd go to Jesus. And so here's what we begin to look at is we know when we look at his life, it's obvious, but his followers, his disciples, they knew they were called to serve at minimum each other and probably serve Jesus as well. I mean, but yet we see moments where they weren't really sure they were supposed to serve others. We see it when they fed the 4,000 and the 5,000. They're like, mm, don't know if we have enough, Jesus. We should send these people away. We can't take care of them. Or when little children came to Jesus, they're like, no, no, no. We, he doesn't have time for you. He's got time for us, but not for them. And Jesus goes, no, no, let the little children come to me. And so there's a scene towards the end of the life of Jesus in which he's gathered with his disciples. Gathered in this upper room and they gather to eat together. And they're arguing about who's first, who's most important. And then Jesus, Jesus lets them know who's first. But he takes what they thought to be true and he flips it upside down. So we'll read these words. These words from John chapter, chapter 13, beginning with verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing... And wrapped a towel around his waist. 
After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean. Oh, not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I don't know that we can pick up the implications from this text at first glance. I really don't. I mean, in Jesus' day, it was the role of the servant or even the slave to wash the feet of the guests at the house you gathered for dinner. And Jesus' disciples weren't rich. So either they rotated turns doing that or occasionally they'd be at someone's house who was hosting them and it would be taken care of. But to say it was the lowliest job, right? I mentioned earlier that I helped clean a house that was disgusting. Well, just imagine a road where animals went all the time, where people wore stuff all the time. There wasn't really great sanitation during those days. They didn't really have indoor plumbing, and so just imagine what the streets were like. And so when you walked inside, your feet were disgusting. And someone would bend down and wash your feet. At a minimum in a house, there would, someone would place the basin and you might wash your own feet. But if they had servants or even slaves, then someone would do it for you. And so here are the disciples, they're gathered in this room together, and they're arguing about who's first. They're probably also arguing about who's going to wash feet because none of them want to do it. And so Jesus, their teacher, the one who would have been the host at this dinner, gets up, wraps a towel on his waist, and begins to wash their feet. And Peter, who's impetuous, he's like many of us. He goes, no, 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 Jesus, you're not washing my feet. Jesus goes, I am, because I'm going to show you what love looks like. And Peter goes, well, then if you're going to wash my feet, then just wash all of me. And he goes, ah, Peter, you're kind of missing the point here. You don't need a bath. But Jesus washes their feet and he says, no servant is greater than his master. And he says, here's what love looks like. There's no place that's not too lowly. There's no place that I won't go. Jesus shows what love and leadership look like in a world in which leadership was known by power and control And might, doesn't sound much different than our day, by the way, right? Jesus says, let me show you what true love and true leadership look like. It serves. It's willing to get down on a knee. 
It's willing to do the dirty thing that no one else wants to do. This is what service looks like. This is what love looks like. This is who Jesus is. Jesus, who had every right to sit on a throne. Jesus, who had every right as the Son of God to command every army in the world. Jesus, who had every right to have others serve him, takes the lowest position, the position of a slave. Willfully, he chooses it. I don't know about you, but I don't really want to choose it. And maybe you do, but Jesus does right here what I think is so valuable for us. Jesus models that love serves. Did you catch that? Jesus models that love serves. That's what love does. I know it's crazy. I know it makes no sense, but that's what love does. Jesus laid aside whatever cultural indignities were associated with serving Jesus laid aside whatever were the preconceived notions of others about what greatness looked like. So let me show you what great looks like. As you, my disciples, are arguing about greatness, let me show you what greatness looks like. It looks like taking the lowest place. In the words of the theologian Henry Allen, it's, it's this idea that we embrace downward mobility in a world that, that embraces as the way of great leadership upward mobility and upward trajectory. Jesus embraces Downward mobility. I know it's hard to wrap your mind around. It's hard for me too. But what if, what if there's a way in this? What if there is a way in this? This really does change the world. So what does it look like to embrace this as a way of life? I was thinking about a couple stories this week. Um, I was in college and I remember, I remember coming home and going to the church that I, that I grew up in, and, and I walked in, and my grandfather had just retired as the pastor there for almost 30-plus years. And when I walked in, I saw that he, he was there in his dress pants, because he always wore dress pants. He wears jeans now, so it's kind of, kind of impressed with him now, you know? Um, but he wore dress pants even to cut the grass. And so there he is in his dress pants and his white V-neck T-shirt, because he had taken his dress shirt off, and he's sanding down bathroom doors, and it's a job that really anyone could do, right? I mean, it's, it's a job that probably is appropriate for someone who, who wants to serve in a unique way. And the truth is that no one would have ever known he did that if I didn't keep telling the story. But there he was, standing down these doors. And I asked him, I said, what, what are you doing, Grandpa? I mean, he said, well, someone's got to do this job. And if we do this and we restain them, then we don't have to buy new doors. We can just fix them. Oh, makes sense. Or I can tell you about the university president that I talked to recently who has decided he's going to give up his salary this year because of all that's going on. Their university is going to have to, to make people take some significant pay cuts. And they're going to have to fire some people. And it's not what any leader wants to do. And so he said, here's the deal. I won't make a dollar this year. But I'll surf. I'll work this year as if I'm getting paid, but I don't want to get paid. About service, this idea of what's it look like to serve in the right time or the wrong time, and how do we know? And so I was thinking about the person, the author, Parker Palmer. He writes some pretty interesting books. They're about leadership and serving and about education and how to, how to live out your calling, and they're just really good books. But Parker Palmer was being recruited to be a university president. But he couldn't decide if his heart was in the right place for that role or not, and so he met with some people. He some friends, he's a Quaker, and they begin to pray together and ask questions. They said, well, Parker, why do, you, why do you want to do this? And he said, well, 
I don't know, but the longer he thought about it, the more he realized the reason he wanted to do it was because he thought it'd be really cool to see his name in the newspaper. And so he had his name removed from consideration. And you catch that in a world in which we seek the highest role, Parker said, mm, I want it for all the wrong reasons. I can impact the university just as much in what I'm doing already. And see, this is hard for us. And in fact, I'm going to push in an area that I think sometimes we don't think about. Um, not only is serving important, but so is graciously receiving. Right? I don't know if you realize this, but we live in a world in which we talk a lot about the service industry. It's the industry probably hit hardest in this pandemic because we've basically shut restaurants. I, I know part of this you can't do right now, right? Um, you can't go to restaurants. So you can't embrace this idea of being served. But, but I got to be honest with you. I've talked to numerous friends of mine who worked in restaurants, and on Sundays after church, they dreaded it. And you're like, well, why would they dread working on Sundays? Well, the reason was the people would come in from church, and they would be rude, they tipped poorly, <laughs> and they would be cranky. And so in reality, people would leave churches where they talk about love your neighbor, love one another, be the salt and light of Jesus in the world, and then people would show up at restaurants and be jerks. Do you see a disconnect with that? Because I do. Got to be honest with you, there was a, a person I went to dinner with, it's been a few years ago now, and, and they were really short with the waitress. And finally, I apologized to the waitress for him and said to him, hey, I don't think how Jesus calls us to live or act. See, the reality is we also, we serve graciously, but we should receive graciously. So if our waiter or waitress screws up, what if we don't rip rip them apart? What if we're just loving and kind and listen? What if we model graciousness in our response? Can you imagine what might happen if that were true? The truth is, often we do things and people never see them. You see, we serve when no one may see and we serve also when no one may appreciate it. A lot of what we do to serve is behind the scenes. It's quiet. It's it's humble, it's dismissive of what others think is great. It's what happens when no one's looking. That's the kind of service Jesus invites us to, the stuff that, that maybe no one else is going to ever notice. And I know some of us think, well, if I, if I serve when no one notices, I'll be taken advantage of. If I serve in that way, I, they're going to take advantage of me and, and I'll just get walked all over. I love this difference that Richard Foster kind of illustrates and this idea of embracing this practice as a way of life. There's the difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. See, choosing to serve, I'm still in complete control. I choose when it happens and where it happens. And if I don't feel like doing it, I just don't show up. But choosing to be a servant, that's a way of life. In fact, that's the way of life Jesus invites us to. This is what he's trying to get his disciples to understand. Choose a way of life that is wrapped up in serving others. But it's hard. Because it means you could get walked all over. It means that you could get messed with. But, but what are some practical ways that we could choose to serve in our everyday lives? Well, that's kind of easy, actually. Um, just we could be people of common courtesy. Kindness goes a long way. Thank you. You're welcome. Please. It's amazing how powerful those are. Or even offering a smile. Or maybe even common courtesy in these days is wearing a mask for the sake of others. These are unique days for us. And so some of the normal things about like shaking hands, 
probably don't do that right now. Um, but we can offer up graciousness and serve others in these days in unique ways. We can also offer hospitality. Right? We talk about the hospitality industry. The church should lead the way for the hospitality industry, not the other way around. How about we change that? And there's one that honestly, I, I've got to be honest, I've, I've been guilty of not being good at. Um, sometimes I get it right, but sometimes I don't. That's just listening. See, love listens. And if I listen, that means when people are talking, I'm not thinking of my response yet. I'm not writing my response until I have listened. In fact, I should probably pause. And so I'll say this. If you're using this in terms of social media, wait five minutes or ten minutes and then respond. If it's in person, hear them all the way out. Ask a clarifying question. Love listens. And how else do we serve? We tell people, especially in these days, about the hope that we find in Jesus. We tell them about who he is and how he loves us. And I love this quote I'm going to give you. It's not, you're not going to see it on the screen, but here it is. It says, the fact that God speaks to us does not guarantee that we rightly understand the message. We often mix our word with God's word. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing from James 3.10. Such realities humble us and throw us in deep dependence upon God. But we must not draw back from this service for it's desperately needed today. As you catch those words, we often mix our word and God's word. And so we better be careful to say the right thing, but we also can, can ask God's help in that. And if we're not careful, we'll miss the opportunity to share the good news, the hope we find that God's kingdom is coming here and now. And Jesus has come to offer life to its full. And it's an invitation for you and I to know him in a way that changes everything. See, Jesus shows us how to follow him, and it's not just seen in his crucifixion, but it's also seen in his service. He serves others. So the question, why serve? I mean, besides the fact that Jesus did? Because service in silence leads to humility, and humility leads to holiness. Service in silence leads to, leads to humility, and humility leads to holiness. And this is the invitation to seek after Jesus. And I know, I know, we all think we're really humble. But the truth is, when we think we're really humble, myself included, we're not humble. We're the opposite of humble. In fact, what if, what if the church was marked by humility? What if we were marked by the reality that we recognize we see the world as it is, but we see what the world could be? What if, what if, what if the church, what if we embrace the call to serve others? What if some of the biggest arguments we were having in the church was how are we going to serve people better instead of how can we get what we want or our own rights? To serve is the call of Jesus. In fact, Jesus calls us to the ministry of the towel. Jesus calls us to the ministry of the towel. Why does that matter? Because love serves. It's what love does. Love serves. So this morning, I'm going to give you kind of a, just a snapshot, a quick look at two variations. One that says self-service or self, self-serving righteousness and one true service to others. One's about me and what I want, and one is about God's kingdom. And so you'll see this on your screen, and so just follow along as I read it to you. 
Self-righteous service comes from human effort. True service comes from a relationship with the divine other deep inside. Self-righteous service is impressed with a big deal, enjoys serving when it's a big task. True service finds it almost impossible to distinguish the small from the large service. Self-righteous service requires external rewards. It seeks applause. True service rests contented in hiddenness. Self-righteous service is highly concerned about results. True service trusts the outcome to God. Self-righteous service picks and chooses when to serve. True service is indiscriminate in its ministry. It's a servant of all. Self-righteous service is affected by moods and whims. Ah, I'm too tired. I don't feel like it. True service ministers simply and faithfully because there is a need. I love this quote. The service disciplines the feelings rather than allowing the feeling to control the service. Self-righteous service is temporary. True service is a lifestyle. Self-righteous service is insensitive. True service can withhold the service as freely as it performs it. Meaning that we can stop the service and offer whatever type of love is needed. Self-righteous service fractures community. True service builds community. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather as your unique people. We know these are tough days for many of us. We know they're bizarre days for all of us. We pray right here, right now, in these moments, that we might reflect on these words. That you might challenge our hearts, that we might seek after you, that we might serve others because love serves. So, Father, we thank you for the way you continue to be near to us. We thank you for the way you continue to offer up your love and your grace, how you welcome our confession and our repentance, and how you can give us a new heart. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. As always, you can go online and there'll be prompts available for you to find resources to continue to embrace these practices as a way of life. We'll see you next week.